0: You're in the right place if you're ready to cultivate the self-awareness to be the leader you were born to be. Let's go on this journey together. Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt, and we have another fabulous, fabulous guest. Today we are speaking with Jason. Jason Lawrenson is transforming management as a keynote speaker, trainer, and author. He liberates managers from outdated and inhumane practices so they can cultivate human potential at work and improve people's lives. His insights have been described as a secret weapon by leaders who strive to create a more engaging and human work experience for their people. His experience ranges from startup CEO to Fortune 1000 executive. He also spent several years leading the Best Places to Work program for an HR technology company where he gained deep insight into some of the best workplaces in the world. Jason is the author of two books, Unlocking High Performance, How to Use Performance Management to Engage and Empower Employees to Reach Their Full Potential, and Social Gravity, Harnessing the Natural Laws of Relationships. Welcome to the show, Jason. Hey, Kristen. I am excited for this conversation. I always, I know for you and I, because we're super passionate about leadership and management and employee engagement that we literally could talk for like 24 hours. But for today, um, I want to even start off by giving people an opportunity to learn a little bit more about your journey and what got you into this work. Maybe we're going to start off at when you're 12 or 13, year old, 13 years old in the fields, but you tell me like... Tell me a little bit more about your journey and why this work is so important to you.
1: Yeah, I never know quite where to start because I think, you know, there are inflection points, right? And you you hint at, I have to now say like why you bring up the 12 or 13 year old me in the field is that my very first management job was as a 13 year old, which is insane because I have a 13 year old that... As a bedroom, right through this wall, and the thought of him having to supervise other human beings is completely um, insane. And so, I, I, uh, I'm sure I did not do a good job. It seemed like a good opportunity to get to talk to girls, um, but I didn't really get the whole point of it. And so, um, so that's where it started. And I think because of that, and then ever since, I've been really, I became really interested just in things like how people interact or about leadership or about performance or about, you know, I, I've read, it seems like billions of self-help books over the years. And so I got really interested in that. But then I think the next inflection point for me was early in my career, I started in sales and I ended up in recruiting. So I was an executive recruiter. And when you're in that business, you get this opportunity to kind of like what you do all day long is you're, you're getting to peek inside of organizations, right? So you have clients that you're talking to, they're trying to find somebody or hire somebody. And so you're talking to them about, well, why is this job open? And you know, what, what's it going to take for somebody to succeed in this role? And tell me about the manager. And you start digging in there. And then you're talking to, you know, Candidates, at least the recruiters speak, candidates, people that you're trying to recruit to, to um for this role, and they're telling you about their job experience and their manager and where they work, and you're trying to to do this game. And and the thing is, what I realized was in all of those conversations, the common theme seemed to be dysfunction. Like it was dysfunction everywhere, right? People were leaving because that, you know, they are clients at openings because there was dysfunction or a manager was terrible or whatever. And then on the, on the candidate side, the reason people might want to leave is because their workplace and experience was dysfunctional. And so it was like, and so, you know, it's dysfunction on dysfunction and I'm like, what is going on? And so I felt, I guess, compelled to get into or dig into that. And so that I think is sort of the initial spark that, Sent me down this path, and that led me to 10 years in corporate HR. And then that led me into writing and speaking and consulting and studying all of this. But I think that, I think those are probably the two inflection points that most lit this fire.
0: Yeah, and I I connected to, I think you were talking about yourself even as well having some terrible leaders, which you start to mm-hmm. see the contrast when you've had the terrible leaders. But I, I I know even in my experience, my first two or three bosses were what I would describe as a dysfunctional bosses. But you start when you don't know anything else than that, and you've just graduated from school. You just think, okay, this is what I signed up for. This is what it needs to look like. Um, but then there was a, a fire in me, which I'm hearing the fire in you. There's like, well, I don't think that's actually true. I don't think it needs to look like that. Um, but I also think part of it is we, it, it's very easy to put the blame on the leader and they should be doing X, Y, Z. But a lot of times they're not necessarily getting the tools, the coaching, the development to be able to show up as their best selves as a leader. So let's start there when, when you start to think about leadership. And why we see so much of the, these d- dis- dysfunctional leaders, and of course, dysfunctional cultures that are part of that. What do you think is happening?
1: Well, I think what I've come to realize, and and actually, I'll I'll tell you one more story that was another inflection point that I think summarizes how I see this, and it goes back to my it was my first corporate job ever. So I had always worked, either been an entrepreneur or worked in small businesses. And I got my first job as a director of recruiting in a, in a company that had like a thousand employees or whatever. So my first corporate job, I'm coming into a proper corporate HR department as a manager. And, uh, and so I come in and, and, you know, I'd always been in sales. I'd been, you know, recruiter, I'd owned my own shop or whatever. And so, I didn't I had no understanding or time for politics or people's feelings about how we were working or any of this stuff. I just was a I was a bit of a bull in the China shop. All I knew was results. Fastest path to get results, point A to point B. That's sales. And so how do I get the deal closed? And so that's how I operated. And in the and my boss, God bless her, we would have weekly, and she was a good leader overall generally. And so we had weekly one-on-one meetings, which was awesome. That's what managers should do. But in this meeting, from the very early days, we she would I'd show up to this meeting and she would say, she would always like, we'd talk about things. And I was making a ton of progress around recruiting, around our time to hire. I had to rebuild my team and retrain my team and new tech and all the stuff. We were accomplishing all these things. But yet, Almost every one-on-one, she would have some kind of feedback for me that one of my peers in HR was complaining to her about me. Something. Some, there was always something. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't um, spending time connecting or checking in with them, or I wasn't playing as a member of the team appropriately, or I had done something every week. And this went on. I don't know for how long. Months, probably. And finally, one day we were sitting there, and I don't remember what prompted this, but she had, again, some bit of feedback. One of my peers was complaining about me about something, and I finally said to her, what do you want from me? Like, What do you want from me? I don't understand because I'm doing all the things. My results are great, and yet all I hear about in these meetings is... My peers whining about me or complaining about me. I mean, this, and granted, I didn't handle it the best. I was a little defensive, but I was over it. And what happened in that meeting was that we finally had the conversation that we needed to have right we we'd been for whatever reason she'd been dancing around it or she had been avoiding it or whatever and frankly she probably was avoiding it with me because i'm i'm a pain in the ass right I'm, i don't mind confrontation and so if you're if you're getting a little bit of that through the through through this i'm not the easiest person to manage and so she probably just didn't want to deal with it but whatever we finally had the conversation and it was a little intense but in that conversation we both learned that you know what we both need to show up differently And she gave me some feedback I really needed to hear. She set some clarity around expectations that I needed to to have. I called her out on a real double standard that she was putting on top of me that was really frustrating and what that was doing. for. So she agreed that she needed to show up differently in her role. And then everything changed. Mm-hmm. Everything changed from that day. My, my, how I felt about work changed. How I showed up with my peers changed. My results changed. My relationship with my boss changed. One conversation. And so I tell that story because after 25 years of banging around doing this work, I have come to believe that at the heart of all of the issues that we have around leadership and management is a fundamental lack of relationship skills and specifically our inability to have the conversations that matter. And that's because we don't have the skills or we don't have the courage or whatever. But I think that is the core unit that's breaking down um, in almost every case.
0: I 100% agree with you. And it's what my experience has been as well. And and that's why I I love doing so much work around emotional intelligence because sometimes it is around, it it feels vulnerable to say Mm -hmm. what they actually want to say. It needs to be said. And how do you, learn how to have daring conversations and create space for both sides. And I love what I heard there too, because I think ultimately when two people are working together, it's around like, what does she need more of and less of for you to be able to work effectively? What do you need less of and more of from her and being able to hear that from one another. And I think so often there isn't this uh, slowing down and really intentionally hearing that, which requires to like really actively listen and be able to say what needs to be said. Recognizing, I think anytime feedback's happening, it might even be in that moment, it's too much for that person to process and say, you know, I'm going to take what you said to heart, let's connect again. So it's even figuring out timing. It can be multiple conversations to be able to really be able to process and work through and talk through that. So I think that's uh, fundamental.
1: Well, and it's true. And I mean, the thing that really has crystallized for me, I guess, over the last particular last several years is that we... We feel it and recognize it at work, right? Because we see the consequences. People leaving or underperforming or all the chaos and drama that exists in our workplaces. But it's the reason people aren't showing up at work and doing it is because they don't know how to do it. They're not doing it at home either. They're not doing it with their spouses. They're not doing it with their kids. They don't know how to do it. And, and that's, you know, there's a whole bunch of causes or reasons that that has, we've ended up where we are, but it doesn't matter. The solution is let's learn how to be in relationship with each other better. Let's learn how to really check in with each other in a way that we can get to these conversations more effectively, because when we can do that, if, and and the beautiful, the beautiful thing, and this is why I'm so excited about this work is that if we can, if we teach people how to do that at work, and I'm sure Kristen, you see this in your work all the time, When you flip the switch on for, for a leader at work, it's, they go, oh man, like they see it then with their spouse and they see it with their kids. It's amazing how many times you have that where people like, man, I'm going to be a better parent because of this, right? Because of a silly, like something, some example I give um, in a management class. So I think. This isn't, it's not a leadership thing per se. It is a human relationship and a human connection thing. And it's the ability to be, like you said, vulnerable and authentic and courageous in our conversations with others. And I think that's really where the, where the solution is, but it's also profoundly powerful. It's like magic when you teach people how to do this.
0: Yeah, and the same reason why I'm so passionate about this work, because I know when a leader transforms, and I'm working with a leader in a workplace, it transforms all areas of their life and all of those connections. And quite beautifully, their significant others and family members, but also how they're showing up in their community and how they're getting involved. And it's just to me, when I think about this bigger mission, which is really about raising consciousness if we can raise consciousness, we don't want to just raise consciousness in the workplace. We want to really raise this consciousness in the world. And I think even when we start to look at some of this um, divisiveness that can exist when it comes to politics or whatever it is, where people are so so, so uh, feel so firmly about their beliefs and not willing to hear and connect with other people as they start to bring some of that armor down in the way they're learning about themselves and leadership. Now it can start to impact lots of conversations outside of the workplace as well.
1: Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. I always, one of the things that we, um, we say a lot in our work um, is, you know, we can change the world by changing work. Like work is the one sort of common experience that almost all of us have. And if we were to use that experience more intentionally to help people, you know, become, more skilled at relationship and conversation connecting and all these things like the ripple effects we could have globally is, is really, um, incredible, but you know, it's, uh, it's, there's a lot of work to be done, Kristen. Right. So that's, there's a, a a much yet to be done. We're still tilting at windmills a little bit, I think uh, often, but it's, uh, you know, one leader at a time, right. One manager or one team at a time.
0: Yes, there's lots of opportunities. And I think it would be helpful even for our audience to understand a little bit more when you think about the work that you're doing and going in there and helping managers do this more effectively. And I know we're not going to get into everything that you do in your training, but what are some of those areas that you touch on when you think about helping leaders to be able to build those communication skills in order to be able to connect better with others and ultimately be able to, because let's, let's be honest. Of course, it's still about business outcomes, but the irony that I say all the time is when you do all of this, the business outcomes actually get better, but you have to yeah. start at the roots and build the foundation and order. So it's coming from that place. Not like you said, which we see in sales sometimes. And I, it's reminding me, I remember I was uh, talking to a leader a while back and she was talking about like, yeah, I don't care with my sales guys. I just want a sales guys or girls. I just want them to hit their numbers. I don't care if they're dysfunctional and other people don't want them. We want them. I'm like, okay, yeah. <laughs> just so you know, there is going to be a lot of collateral damage that comes with this. Right. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm curious, what are your thoughts around that?
1: Well, I think, so there's some core, um, there's some core things that, uh, when I'm, you know, when, when we're doing management training, the place we start is with mindset. And so that's where, I guess maybe that might be one interesting thing to touch on, mindset i think the um and then we can if you want to i think mindsets place to start with i think how we think about well-being i think is really important you have to shift your perspective around that and then i think the most practical thing is just the mechanics of teaching managers the mechanics of a basic meaningful check-in conversation because it, it you if you know how to do that like you can you, there's lots of other stuff you need to build but um, if you can do the mechanics of the basic conversation just to invite more conversation so that maybe you're not going to do it perfectly right away. But if you can get closer to it, you're gonna start seeing impacts almost immediately. And so, um, so i'll start I'll give you a little on mindset first is, you know what I've one of the things that has become abundantly clear to me is that one of the things we're trying to do. And is in the work you do and the work I do. And I think those of us that are talking about how can we you know, make work work better for human beings is we're working to try to undo about a hundred years of management dogma and methodology and process. So modern management was inherited from a legacy of was born in the industrial era it was invented to get people to essentially behave like machines because we didn't have machines to produce goods and so we had to get people to do these like rote things for long periods of time which is what we would do you know that's we when we're trying to get them to behave like machines the ways that you treat people in that environment sort of codified into what management was there for right that's how management was born and so we call that the production mindset. And in a production mindset, you th- think about you think about work as you know sort of this contractual exchange with employees where an employees' job is just to produce output. And my job as a manager is just to maximize the output that comes out of that machine, right out of that employee. That's every bit of management and HR process we have today is still rooted in that. Performance appraisals, job descriptions, policy manuals, look around and you'll see it. It's dripping everywhere, how we've been trained as managers to deal with performance. And so so there's, there's a few things that we need to get to. Number one is from a mindset shift is we have to recognize that we have decades of data that tells us that... While management thinks work is a contract, employees experience work as a relationship. We've got decades of data that says, okay, what what gets employees to do their best work to be most engaged? It's feeling valued and trusted and cared for and accepted and appreciated. Those are relational constructs. So employees experience work as a relationship. You want the best out of them, you have to treat it like a relationship. So that's, that's number one. The second mindset is recognizing, like we've already talked about that, the sort of the fundamental unit of relationship are, is the conversation. And so it's having these conversations that matter. That's the work of management. So that's number two. And then the third is, and I don't have time to unpo- unpack it, but we call it the cultivation mindset. And it's basically something that that we've taken from or I've learned from observing how farmers think about their role in fostering performance and that farmers when they go out and put a seed in the ground somewhere, spend zero time worrying about whether that seed has the genetic programming to become its best version of itself, right? It knows that that plant, if it has what it needs and it's free of obstacles in its path, it will manifest into the best version of itself. And so farmers, when they're managing the growth of their crop are thinking about two things does that plant have what it needs to grow and what's getting in the way of growth and what, what can I do about that? So that work is called cultivation. And so in management, the cultivation mindset is recognizing that human beings are no different. Yeah. Like I would challenge, I would challenge you to, to show me someone who gets out of bed every day thinking, boy, I hope I, I hope I really fall short Of the expectations of all the important people around me. I really want to fail today. That's really that that's what I want. People don't. People, every human being wants to succeed given the means and opportunity. And so if someone's not performing, then that's something we've done wrong in management. Something we haven't gotten, you know, a need that's unmet, an obstacle that's there, we put them in the wrong situation. And so that's fundamentally what it means, I think, to show up in relationship is a very different you know this is the heart of what we call the the check in method which is the management method that i teach but it's the heart of it is these three mindsets
0: yeah i think where you're taking people on that journey is so important and i have to say for sure even whether i'm doing leadership training or one-on-one coaching there's so much of that role playing that shows up where they're practicing having that conversation because it is it's building a muscle right it's it's a new way of showing up it's and sometimes it's around uh, showing up with more curiosity asking more questions not making assumptions being fully present for a conversation, setting yourself up even before you go into a conversation so that you can make sure that you're fully present. And, um, and my experience has been, it's always life-changing for leaders when they start to, not only is it because it's now they're connecting on a different level with their team and that team is feeling, oh, wow, like my, this leader cares about me and wants to look at my career trajectory and how I can maximize my, my talents and my gifts and continue to contribute to the, to the organization, but that leader also starts to feel so much more meaning in, in their work because look at all of these connection conversations that they're now having.
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, when you, it makes management and leadership feel better. It makes it more fun. It makes it more meaningful. I mean, that's the that's the payoff is that, yes, it is harder, um, but it's easy to be a bad manager. It's just like what you and I have had conversations about parenting. Like it's easy to be a bad parent. It's hard to be a good parent, but when you are a good parent, when you see your kids like manifest into doing some amazing things or making good choices or being able to navigate the world in a way um, that is positive and healthy for them, like the kind of how that feels is amazing, right? It's so rewarding. And the same is true for leaders. Like it's not easy but it makes, it makes the job so much more meaningful and so much more fun.
0: And I think you and I were talking about this pre recording as well as even taking a step back and just even asking yourself the questions around what's your vision around who you want to be as a parent and the, the atmosphere and environment you want to create to help them to reach their potential. And you're asking yourself those same questions as a leader. And I think sometimes it people just sometimes are thrown into management. It's just kind of like, well, this is what sometimes it's, oh, they were a high performer. So then it's assumed that we're going to put you into leadership. And um, they haven't necessarily taken a step back and asked themselves those questions around their vision and what they're trying to create. And I think it can be quite powerful.
1: Yeah. No question. No question. And I think, I, I mean, I think the, the key back to your original Your original question or sort of point about how so many people ended up, you know, we end up, how do we end up with so many, um, you know, these dysfunctional leaders all over the place. And I think it's not, um, and I think it's important to recognize, and this has been a big part of my evolution is recognizing that it's not their fault Most in most cases, because you do get there. If you've never, if you've never experienced healthy management or positive management or a manager who invests in you um, and builds relationship with you, how are you supposed to know how to do it unless we give them the support and coaching to do it? And so I think... Um, I think that's the reset. Everybody deserves that opportunity. But to your point, you have to be committed to that, right? You have to decide that you want to be, it starts with, and that's, like I said, that's why I start with mindset, is that you have to be committed to doing it. If you're committed to it, if you desire, you have a vision that I want to have a positive impact on my people, well, sure, then you can, um, everything after that is a lot easier when you have set your mindset correctly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Jason, when we start to think about where we are in the workplace, we're getting towards the end of 2022, moving into 2023. And, um, there's been a lot that's gone on in the world of work and the whole, uh, the whole world with the global pandemic that was happening in 2021, 2020, 2021, some of 2022, I don't know what some people still say it part of it's here. I don't know. Um, however, it, it has created some shifts in work. It has been a reset for some companies and you've done a great video. I highly recommend people go to YouTube and check out Jason's video on quiet quitting. Um, Because we both have the exact, I'm like, if I were to make a video, I'd be saying exactly what Jason is saying, because we share very similar philosophies around the quiet quitting. Um, I personally don't like the specific, like, what was used as a word, but it doesn't even matter whether it's called quiet quitting or not, what has come out of it in terms of conversations. I think are powerful um, from both the organization's responsibility and also that individual and their interpretation of why they're feeling like they need to quit in the first place. So when you start to think about us going into 2023 and looking at the future of work and how it's continuing to shift, and I remember you asking me this question and I loved it. So if I were to give you the magic wands that you gave me when you were asking me in an interview one time, what would you do with that magic wand? What do you want to see more of as we start to move into
1: 2023? Hmm. Uh, that, well, I, I, there's self-serving, right. There's a self-serving way to, uh, to, to do that. I, I mean, honestly, I would put myself out of business if I could, right. If, if, if I had a magic wand and I could sort of Wave it, and every manager everywhere, or every leader everywhere, suddenly had the skills um, and the courage to really show up with their people and talk about the things that really mattered that day, whether it was you know, some issue you're struggling with at home that's getting in the way of work or some relational issue at work or something that you're, you know, stuck on or some resource you need or the raise you need because you're about to quit or whatever, whatever. Um, if I could wave that wand and make, you know, leaders and managers, um, you know, more more committed to being in relationship with their people more effectively, that's what I would do. But I think more importantly than that, um, I would wave that wand and make sure that every human being that is working today on planet Earth is earning a living wage. Mm. Because I think if if that were the case, um, so many of our societal problems would evaporate overnight. I think that is the root of so many of our issues today. And so I really wish that that was something that we would solve.
0: Um, I think it's an important discussion you're bringing up there. and if you had some thoughts around of course it's it's systemic, there's a lot to it, but if there were steps that were being taken to make it so more people were getting that wage that they should be getting and having access what what do you think that would look like? What are some of the solutions you'd like to offer?
1: well, I mean I think I think that i it's a complicated problem to solve because the I think that we get so many people get wrapped up in this and I and I I I you know in terms of the different approaches or different viewpoints on this I think in the US um we've allowed a system where or we've had a political environment where we have been in celebration of maximizing the wealth of billionaires at the expense of those that do you know the heavy lifting in our economy I mean there's data that shows that I mean, up until I think very recently, we had like a 30 year trend where the bottom 50% of our wage earners in the US had made zero progress on an adjusted basis in terms of making any more money, while the top 1% had gained something like hundreds of percentage points of wealth. And so that's a problem. And I think, I mean, we, and, and I think it starts with some basic, we're starting to see it now where we're seeing seeing some states and um, governments that are legislating higher minimum wages. I mean, we hadn't adjusted the minimum wage in this country for 20 years, more than 20 years. So I think that's um, part of it. But I also think it's organizations starting to really, I think I, I think we've gotten really out of whack. I mean, I, I am a fan of capitalism, but I think capitalism out of control when it starts to maximize the wealth of a very small percentage of people at the real expense of the ma- of the masses right of your employees that's problematic and so i think we have a real value problem and there are models out, out there of organizations that are doing it right it's just it's a really complicated thing because you can't profit maximize and do this at the same time. You can't ensure that each employee is earning a living wage and sort of okay, and maximize the maximize the profit of the shareholders at the same time. Like there has to be a balance, and I think I I, I don't know how to solve that. I think I think we're moving that direction very 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 slowly, but I hope that we make faster progress in the future.
0: Yeah and I think what I hear you saying also is depending on like what kind of organizations and the philosophy of the organization and being able to be just not about making making money with it kind of reminds me of conscious capitalism right where they're asking some questions around what does it look like in terms of this organization and where that what they're trying to create um I also would like to give a little shout out when I hear this you know the last the last statistic that I saw was 5% of CEOs and Fortune 500 companies are females, I'd like to see a lot more female CEOs. Yeah. I think that could help to shift some of the things we're talking about here too.
1: Indeed, indeed.
0: Um, so I also wanna give you an opportunity, Jason, cause we're talking all about leadership and development and growth and you're a leader as well and you're on your journey and I believe we're never done growing and learning. What shows up for you in terms of, and you can share from either, from any place, you can talk about, you know, what are some of the things that you've learned on your journey and where you're making shifts as a leader, or even if you start to think about moving into 2023 and your goals and where you want to continuously grow, what shows up for you?
1: Um, I think for me, the, the common theme of the last, boy, I don't know the last probably 5 years maybe 10 years of my journey has been to grow into an awareness of and an understanding of my privilege um being a cisgender white male um you know all, all, i have all kinds of privilege naturally there i have privilege based on just natural abilities that I have. And then I have privilege that I have um, participated in creating. I have a platform. I can, you know, I can reach people. I, there's all sorts of things that I have. And so, and I've come to realize that, um, and this is something I think so many people get wrong is like privilege in and of itself isn't a bad thing. It's what you do with it, it's not being aware of it. And then you have a choice on what you do. And I, and so for me, the journey has been how can I, more fully and productively leverage the privilege that I have um, to benefit and to support and to be an ally for those that don't have that. And um, I'm on that journey. I learn all the time. I make mistakes. I know, I mean, early in my life, I had no awareness of this. And I look back and I'm like, man, so it's it's a journey and you have to be constantly learning and asking questions and reflective and and sometimes when you try to help, that's not helpful. And then you learn through that. And so you have to know what you don't know. But I think if you're, it goes back to this notion of what are your intentions? And um, if your intentions are pure and your intentions are are to do what you can to um, to see people have equal and fair opportunities, and you're constantly learning when you do screw it up, people are kind and they help you learn. And then you, you don't do that. You don't make that mistake again. You make another mistake next time. Right. But so I think that's the biggest part of my journey is, mm-hmm. is that and learning how to use my voice or lend the benefit of my platform or my privilege or whatever that is to people who it can really benefit and who are um, probably more entitled to it or more worthy of it than i am and so um certainly not done i am this is a very long journey it's a lifetime journey but that's where i find myself most of the time thinking
0: Wow. Yeah. I think what you've said is so important. And, and I think this is even when I've had lots of people on the show around diversity, equity, inclusion, and, and part of my goal with this podcast is to be able to um, pass the mic and be able to amplify uh, marginalized voices as well, who might not have the same access. And I, they always say the same thing, even with workplaces doing DEI and belonging work that it's never done, right? It's a journey. And it's like, you uncover one, and then there's another layer and another layer. Uh, and I, I relate as you're talking as well, when it comes to unconscious bias biases, it's never done, right? You uncover one and then it's like, okay, oh, wow, here's another one and another one and another one, these beliefs that are operating and, um and also there's been so much conditioning, right? And, and I think, like you said, it's being around community, where you can be getting feedback and being, um. I do work around this as well in terms of creating um safe spaces to be able to amplify voices and that it's calling in instead of calling out and right and when someone's calling you in now there's an opportunity yeah I, I learned wow I did screw up here I want to yeah. learn and it's a learning and unlearning journey and that's never over.
1: Yeah and it's such a you know I think I think too that part of a big part of it, I mean, I don't know when it happened for me or how it happened, but there was um a point where I could realize that like this wasn't about like I, I you know, I can I can go back and tell all kinds of stories that I am embarrassed by um from my earlier years, right? Of being I I mean, I clearly sexist racist all kinds of things that just were in the water that I picked up as I was growing up right it was just part of things and I'm not that's not my parents fault or my community's just was what it was it's the environment I came up in but eventually I came to realize I started recognizing some of these things I could take ownership of it and the, the greater degree that I could take ownership of it and embrace it and recognize like yep nope I have all of this racist hardwiring in my head, and I have to actively push back on it. I can see it now, and by owning it and knowing that it's there, it doesn't make me a bad person. Um, that and and when you can separate, like, doesn't mean I. I mean, it's not great. It's not a great thing. I don't. I wish it wasn't there. I wish I could work it out. But all I can do is be on the journey and be accountable for the impact I have, how I show up, being aware of it, being. And I can I can control my journey. I can't control anyone else's journey. I can try to inspire other people or help or or whatever on on that level. But I think that's one of the the things I wish people would understand that get really bent out of shape about being called, you know, when you start talking about privilege, is like it's it just, you know, you don't have to feel bad about it. Just embrace it and then decide decide what to do with it or it's not you don't have to feel bad about the fact that you have in the past you have this biases that are built in or whatever i mean you can feel bad about it you can feel bad about history or whatever but like choose what happens next that is the only thing that you can do differently it's the only thing you can change and you're in control of that so like stop being defensive and and embrace that we can have a different outcome going forward we can be a different person going forward so yeah. so empowering
0: Yeah, it is. And I think this is a beautiful place um, to close off today's conversation. Um, Jason, where can people learn more about you and your work?
1: Well, if you can, if you can spell my name, you can find me all over the place. I need to be easy to find, but my website is jasonlortzen.com. L-A-U-R-I-T-S-E-N is the last name. Um, or you can, if you search Jason Lortzen, you'll find me on LinkedIn and, and all the socials. I, uh, I love hearing from people so you can connect with me wherever you can find me or Jason at if you're old school and just want to email me.
0: Perfect. And I will share all of that in the show notes. And for people listening, um, I know Jason would love to talk to you if you want to learn a little bit more around possibilities of doing developing your leaders. And same on my end too. As always, I love having conversations with you, the audience, hearing what you want to hear more of, things that really landed for you, some of those poignant moments. And then if you're interested in talking about different ways that I can support you in terms of leadership, coaching, development, training, would love to have a conversation. Jason, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thanks for having me. Keep up the great work, Kristen. Appreciate you. you.
0: Thank you. And for everybody, wherever you are in the world, we're saying good morning, good afternoon, good evening, sending tons of love. Bye-bye. Please remember that meaningful change requires space and grace. Practice self-compassion and become the ripple. As you transform yourself, you transform your workplace and the people around you.